Section 14 of the Book of the Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 10. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Safa Ganem, Berlin, Germany. The Book of the Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 10, by Anonymous. Translated by Richard Francis Burton. Terminal Essay preliminary. The reader who has reached this terminal stage will hardly require my assurance that he has seen the medieval Arab at his best, and perhaps at his worst. In glancing over the myriad pictures of this panorama, those who can discern the soul of goodness in things evil will note the true nobility of the Muslim's mind in the Moyen Age, and the cleanliness of his life from cradle to grave. As a child, he is devoted to his parents, fond of his comrades, and respectful to his pastors and masters, even schoolmasters. As a lad, he prepares for manhood with a will, and this training occupies him throughout youth-tide. He is a gentleman in manners, without awkwardness, vulgar astonishment, or mauvaise honte. As a man, he is high-spirited and energetic, always ready to fight for his sultan, his country, and especially his faith courteous and affable, rarely failing in temperaments of mind and self-respect, self-control and self-command, hospitable to the stranger, attached to his fellow citizens, submissive to superiors, and kindly to inferiors, if such classes exist. Eastern despotisms have arrived nearer the idea of equality and fraternity than any republic yet invented. As a friend, he proves a model to the daemons and pythiases, as a lover and exemplar to Don Quixote, without the noble old caballero's touch of eccentricity. As a knight, he is a mirror of chivalry, doing battle for the weak and debelling the strong, while ever defending the honor of women. As a husband, his patriarchal position causes him to be loved and fondly loved by more than one wife. As a father, affection for his children rules his life. He is domestic in the highest degree, and he finds few pleasures beyond the bosom of his family. Lastly, his death is simple, pathetic, and edifying, as the life which led to it. Considered in a higher phase, the medieval Muslim mind displays, like the ancient Egyptian, a most exalted moral idea, the deepest reverence for all things connected with his religion, and a sublime conception of the unity and omnipotence of the deity. Noteworthy, too, is a proud resignation to the decrees of fate and fortune, kaza wa kadar, of destiny and predestination, a feature which ennobles a low aspect of al-Islam even in these her days of comparative degeneration and local decay. Hence, his moderation and prosperity, his fortitude in adversity, his dignity, his perfect self-dominance, and lastly, his lofty quietism, which sounds the true heroic ring. This, again, is softened and tempered by a simple faith in the supremacy of love over fear, an unbounded humanity and charity for the poor and helpless, an unconditional forgiveness of the direst injuries, which is the note of the noble, a generosity and liberality, which at times seem impossible, and an enthusiasm for universal benevolence and beneficence, which, 
exalting kindly deeds done to man above every form of holiness constitute the root and base of oriental nay of all courtesy and the whole is crowned by pure trust and natural confidence in the progress and perfectibility of human nature which he exalts instead of degrading this he holds to be the foundation stone of society and indeed the very purpose of his existence his pessimism resembles far more the optimism which the so-called books of Moses borrowed from the ancient Copt than the mournful and melancholy creed of the true pessimist as Solomon the Hebrew, the Indian Buddhist, and the esoteric European imitators of Buddhism. He cannot but sigh when contemplating the sin and sorrow, the pathos and bathos of the world, and feel the pity of it with its shifts and changes ending in nothingness, its scanty happiness, and its copious misery. But his melancholy is expressed in a voice divinely sweet, a voice no less divinely sad. Nor does he mourn as they mourn who have no hope. He has an absolute conviction in future compensation, and meanwhile his lively poetic impulse, the poetry of ideas, not a formal verse, and his radiant innate idealism breathe a soul into the merest matter of squalid workaday life and awaken the sweetest harmonies of nature epitomized in humanity. Such was the Muslim at a time, when the dark clouds of ignorance and superstition hung so thick on the intellectual horizon of Europe as to exclude every ray of learning that darted from the East, when all that was polite or elegant in literature was classed among the studia arabum. Nor is the shady side of the picture less notable. Our Arab, at his worst, is a mere barbarian who has not forgotten the savage. He is a model mixture of childishness and astuteness, of simplicity and cunning, concealing levity of mind under solemnity of aspect. His stolid instinctive conservatism grovels before the tyrant rule of routine, despite that turbulent and licentious independence which ever suggests revolt against the ruler. His mental torpidity, founded upon physical indolence, renders immediate action and all manner of exertion distasteful. His conscious weakness shows itself in the overweening arrogance and intolerance. His crass and self-satisfied ignorance makes him glorify the most ignoble superstitions, while acts of revolting savagery are the natural results of a malignant fanaticism and a furious hatred of every creed beyond the pale of el-Islam. It must be confessed that these contrasts make a curious and interesting tout ensemble. End of section 14. Recording by Safa Gnaim, Berlin, Germany.